Hi there, love. You're listening to Episode 7 of the Being and Doing Now podcast, where we explore what it means to know yourself better, love yourself more, and share from the heart. focus on a different aspect of mental health. This week, we're talking about Mother's Day, which in the U.S. is this coming Sunday, May 12th. You know, our mothers often play a key role in our mental and overall well-being, and they do so from a very early age. To me, it felt really important to talk about Mother's Day in a way that's more inclusive of the range of experiences that folks tend to have during this time of year as we celebrate Mother's Day here in May and even as we head into June and celebrate Father's Day. And it felt so important because although these days are often ones of happy celebration of our caregivers or those who offer us love and nurturing, even if they didn't give birth to us or raise us, these days can also bring up really complex or even complicated emotions for a lot of us. So to explore all this, I recently had a conversation with Dr. Danica Harris. We talked about the different ways it can look and feel complex for us and how we can engage in self-care during this time of year, especially if it feels difficult. And I'll let Danica tell you more about herself in just a moment. But before we jump in, if you find value in this podcast, please head over to iTunes and do two things. One, give it a five-star rating. And two, write a brief review. Or if you don't have iTunes, give it a five-star rating and write that brief review on your favorite podcasting platform. You know, I intentionally keep this show free of third-party advertising, so your ratings and reviews really do help get the word out about the show. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Danica Harris. So welcome, Danica. It's so good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. It's my pleasure. So just to get us started, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a therapist in Dallas, Texas, and I co-own a private practice called Empowered Healing Dallas. I've been seeing clients for about seven years now. And I emphasize and work with those who have experienced trauma, particularly attachment-based trauma or childhood abuse, neglect, or sexual assault. That tends to be the bulk of the clients I see in my practice. Um, And then I'm also a clinical faculty member at Texas Women's University in the counseling psychology program. Fascinating. And so for folks who maybe are not aware of what attachment-related trauma is about, can you tell us a little bit more about Mm -hmm. that? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, attachment really is about our relationships and connection with others. So um, most of what I work with in my practice is those who have experienced attachment wounds in childhood. So for those that are securely attached, that would mean that their physical and emotional needs are being met by their caregivers. Um, But for those who experience family of origin related trauma or attachment based trauma, they likely have not felt or in fact, their needs have not been met. And so really, you know, when we're thinking about attachment, the main question with attachment is if I need you or when I need you, are you there? And I tend to work with folks who have experienced that folks have not been there, that caregivers were not there for them when they needed their needs met, especially as they were developing. Hmm. So this topic is particularly relevant as we approach Mother's Day, and our mothers, I think, tend to be our primary caregivers, certainly not the only ones. 
So as we do approach Mother's Day, what tends to come up for people around celebrating this holiday in particular and some of their attachment issues and their wounds and maybe trauma? And it's kind of a complex thing, I would think. So how do you see all that playing out? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll tell you, this has become like more and more of a topic in my clinical work. And I'm even finding I'm having these conversations with folks personally, but most of us, all of us have some sort of relationship with our caregiver. And if our caregiver is either our mom, um, whether that be a biological mother or a stepmother or um, a grandparent or, you know, just a mother type figure who raised them, there's a variety of different ways someone can be connected to or attached to that caregiver. And that a day such as Mother's Day that's focused on celebrating and honoring that caregiver can bring up just a wide variety of feelings. So sometimes feelings that arise are around love and connection and desire to celebrate and happiness and, you know, a day that someone like a, an adult child may feel really drawn to celebrate their maternal caregiver in that way. And, you know, for others, especially those who do not have a secure attachment or experience harm or abuse or neglect in childhood, there can certainly be pain associated with Mother's Day. I think another, you know, not only those who experience pain in childhood um, may view Mother's Day as more complicated or um, painful, but also those who have lost a mother, whether that be to illness or death or just transitioning relationships, I think the day can really evoke a lot of different feelings, um, and it may not be celebratory for everybody. Absolutely. And even if it is celebratory, sometimes I think a lot of people have mixed feelings about it, which is very common. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was reading a statistic about loss, and this uh, study was a number of years ago, but it I think it still holds true, and maybe the numbers have been updated since then. So if you're aware of them, please let me know. But I saw that one in seven of us has lost a parent by the age of 20, which seems to be a huge number so and plus all of that complex kind of relational issues so I think you know one of the primary things that I want folks to know is that you're not alone if it doesn't feel warm and fuzzy for you around Mother's Day in every way or you feel like it is a little bit bittersweet when you hear an ad for Mother's Day or hear people talking about it there are a lot of us out there who have experienced some of the things you mentioned, and even, you know, who Mm -hmm. don't have contact with a parent. Maybe the parent is still living or the caregiver is still living, but they've decided to go, quote unquote, no contact. Do you have uh, some Mm -hmm. thoughts around that in particular? Yeah, you know, I hadn't heard that statistic before, but as you're saying that, I love that you said that folks are not alone and that, you know, there's not one collective experience. And I, I think what's unfortunate is we get sold a collective experience for all sorts of different occasions and holidays in our culture, in U.S. culture at least. And, you know, I think that that's part of the, that's how people end up feeling isolated is that there's this expectation that Mother's Day would look like this celebratory day that children and adult children are just kind of fawning over their parent, which Again, that may be exactly what someone wants to do, but, you know, even if someone has a healthy relationship or a secure attachment with their, with their mom, they may not want to, like, celebrate even the whole day really attending to that person, and yet there's these messages that that's the expectation, and so if that's the expectation that people think they have to live up to, of course people are going to end up feeling alone or isolated or really even hurt on that day, and I, you know, I think especially with Mother's Day and Father's Day really not being that far apart, I think for folks who, who do have complicated relationships or, or no relationship at all, it can really feel like 
the blows kind of come back to back. And I think it can really bring up a lot of past trauma, a lot of attachment wounds. Um, it may even be difficult for folks to function or connect with people in their personal lives during this time, particularly if people close to them are celebrating their mothers. They may feel, um, you know, like nobody gets me. I'm all alone in this. Absolutely. And I do want to add, you know, this discussion is really not to, you know, our intention is not to be bashing parents or to bash mothers or fathers, you know, as as Father's Day approaches Mm -hmm. too. But it's really just a recognition and an acknowledgement that there are a lot of dynamics that come into play with our parents and caregivers and in relationships in general. And this is really the intention here Mm -hmm. is really just to honor ourselves and our experiences, even if they feel difficult and even as they feel difficult. Yeah, oh, I so agree with you that really any relationship is just that. It's just the relationship, and we don't need to be putting value or worth tied up into, like, how one chooses to celebrate or not celebrate Mother's Day or what that even means about, like, mothers in general, but really just, like, acknowledging where you're at and where that relationship is and doing what feels best for you and not doing something that feels best for someone else because of a societal message or a familial message or whatever that may be. Yes, indeed. And just a a few minutes ago, you mentioned, you know, attachment related issues and how they show up in our lives and our relationships and not even just with parents or caregivers, but, you know, maybe with each other. So can you talk to some of that about what the range of things that people might experience in their Mm -hmm. relationships around attachment? Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that maybe needs a little bit more attention is that people are going to repeat their relational patterns until they learn something different. So a lot of times people will end up in relationship with people where the dynamic between them really mirrors the relationship they maybe had with an early caregiver, with a mom or a dad or whomever. And so that's particularly concerning for folks who experience harm or abuse or neglect in childhood, because then what that probably means is they end up getting in a non-equitable, non-reciprocal relationship in adulthood because they don't even know what that looks like or know how to find that. So I think in my work anyway, I find that, and I think the literature supports this, that our attachment style tends to follow us. And so, and most people are not just one clean, clear-cut attachment style. A lot of people will have some security in their attachment, but then maybe also some um, anxious attachment or maybe disorganized attachment. And those aspects of attachment are really what get in our way of forming healthy connections. And yet, you know, it's amazing because we're not, we're not actually taught how to be in a healthy relationship. Every client I've ever worked with, any presentation I've ever done, if I ask them, where did you learn about relationships or what it meant to love someone or to be there for someone, I'm often told, like, I either wasn't taught this or, well, I, I saw what people did on TV or I saw what folks did in my family So, you know, just culturally, we're not taught what it means to truly show up and hold space for another person. So it's no wonder that, like, we're all out in the world, like, both connecting and colliding with people around us. And I think that's how I really sum up attachment in my work. It's the ways in which we connect and collide um, with other people and the ways in which their stuff and their attachment also connects and collides with us. Yes, indeed. So we're, uh, we're not often taught to, or most often, I think, we're not taught how to be in relationship. And we're also not taught how to take care of ourselves in relation, Mm -hmm. you know, to ourselves and in relation to the relationship, right? So 
Can you Absolutely. share a little bit about what it looks like as you're helping your clients develop that sense of themselves and the self-care mm -hmm. and, and an approach to relationships that's really healthy and functional and that serves everybody? Yeah, well, I think a couple of things come up for me as you were asking that. You know, one of the things I often find myself doing, this is not even just exclusively with clients, like with students that I'm working with or with peers or friends, myself included, is really asking the person to go inward and start to assess, like, what are your basic needs? Um, and then beyond the needs, what are your wants and desires? And unfortunately, a lot of us in adulthood are just completely disconnected. We've been in functioning mode. We've been in, like, pattern mode where we're just doing what we know over and over. Um, and a lot of times people will want change, especially in relationships, but won't necessarily know how to get it. And so sometimes it's about like removing the dynamic. So, you know, I'm sitting across from an individual person having this conversation and really saying like, well, what are you getting out of this relationship? Like, what's your motivation to stay? If we're talking about like an intimate relationship or, or really even a friendship, you know, and I think I've been surprised and maybe not so much anymore, but often people don't have an answer to that question. Like, what am I getting or what's my motivation in this relationship? And so I, I think one of the things I like to do is help people to get in touch with that. And if the answer is I'm not getting anything out of the relationship, but, but I'm giving and giving and giving, then I really encourage the person to think about, well, where does that pattern come from? Where were you taught that you had to show up and give for others and not give for yourself? And so by examining and going inward, then maybe the person can start to establish and understand, well, here's what I need and want. And then the next step is, now how do I get what I need and want? And a lot of times that's about boundaries and really just making sure that, you know, we're, we're checking in with ourselves and honoring our internal experience. And I, I think one of, the, one of the benefits here is, you know, when someone's coming to me, they're often, a lot of times folks are coming in for what's currently going on. Like I, I'm currently struggling to be in a healthy relationship. And, you know, by working on what's current, we almost start to begin to work on and solve what's in the past as well. Um, and, and really when I say solve, I mean like heal, heal from some of that. Um, and so really understanding that you can set boundaries with family of origin and boundaries might look like a set amount of time you spend with someone, but it could also look like no contact. Um, it could also look like I'm not going to be around you if you do X, Y, Z. And so really encouraging folks to live an empowered life and be able to say like, I get to set this for me. I don't have to do status quo for the rest of my life. I get to establish relationships that are healthy and equitable and reciprocal. Absolutely. And one of your suggestions a moment ago was to, you know, really go inward and look at mm -hmm. what you want and what you need. And one of the things that I know to be true about people who have had some difficult experiences, even traumatic experiences in their lives, is that it is difficult to go in. Not only do they not really know or have connection with mm -hmm. maybe what they're feeling, but just that whole idea of going inside may not feel safe or mm. they may not know how. So do you have any suggestions for people, you know, for whom that's true and how they can maybe mm -hmm. gently start to get a sense of how they're feeling mm -hmm. and what works for them, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think you're, oh, you're so right that it can be very scary to go inward. It can also be very, it can feel very unsafe. I think um, two things come to mind. The first one is helping the person to create dual awareness. So a lot of times when it feels unsafe to go inward, it may be because the person will feel flooded or that they feel um, like they're, they're really close to their trauma memories if they're doing that. If they're going inward and examining their needs, that means they also have to examine the times in which their needs haven't been met. 
or they may have to come face to face with the fact that like, you know, here I am in my 20s, 30s, 40s, and I've never even thought about my needs before. And that can be really painful. So I think like being able to hold space with that person and say like, all of that's true. It is really painful. It has felt scary. And yet here you are today in this room with me in this space. And so how can we use all the skills and tools and intellect and emotional um, intellect that you hold today? How do we use that to help know yourself better? And so I think it's toggling for me, it's like toggling back and forth with that person. And, you know, you're right here right now, we're sitting in this pain together and we're reflecting back and yet you're still safe. You're still safe because you're sitting in this room right now. Um, and I think anything that we can do, I know from my perspective, at least therapeutically to build safety can help the person to feel safer with their own, with themselves as well. I think also, and this is something I like to do with clients a lot is things that get them out of their head. So things that are not cognitive based interventions, but things that are body based, things that, um, you know, deep breathing, mindfulness, encouraging someone to sit, even if it's for three seconds at a time in my office with me or in home at home with themselves to sit and be still and be curious about themselves and be present moment, like right here, right now, not in the past, not in the future. And if we can increase mindfulness, I think that helps with the dual being in two places at once, being able to go backward and forward. Um, but I think it also helps someone to feel safer within themselves. And as we increase safety in, internally, we are maybe more likely to want to have safer places in our external environment as well. Yes. And as it relates to this topic of Mother's Day, you know, speaking of mindfulness and awareness and, and knowing ourselves, do you have some thoughts about, you know, how we can really take care of ourselves if we do feel triggered around Mother's Day? Mm -hmm. if some of those issues that, that maybe that we have known are common for mm -hmm. us and maybe you know if it seems like it comes out of nowhere because we really haven't gotten in touch with that yet you can be mm -hmm. in your 20s 30s 40s whenever in life and something can feel like it comes out of the blue mm -hmm. and you're like where does that come from so you know in relation to a particular mm -hmm. trigger or your response to something like mother's day so what are some of your thoughts for how to engage in self-care around holidays like this yeah, I think one of the things that I know for myself, like if I'm feeling overwhelmed or triggered by something that I'm like reading online. So I, I know, you know, almost everyone utilizes social media these days. And, you know, whether you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it may be, seeing on that day, people tend to post pictures of family and pictures of, of mom and celebrating mom or um, maybe even themselves as a mom, they may be posting pictures like that. And I would say if that is at all triggering or distressing for you and whether, you know, it's in the moment you're, you're starting to feel triggered or distressed or whether you know ahead of time, but like, I know this day there's just going to be a ton of these pictures and that's hard for me. I would say step away from social media for the day. And, you know, you can even use it like lightheartedly as a break. Like, oh, we're all always connected to our phones. I'm going to take the day to be completely offline because I know that there's potential I could be triggered today. So I think thinking that, thinking that through ahead of time. Um, also, like as you stated earlier, like they're not alone. And so I would say think about the people in your life who you could connect with on that day or talk through some of the pain. If you have someone who's safe, that maybe the two of you could talk through some of the pain of that day or, or the complicated nature of that day or whatever it may be. Or even if that's not the case, if you can't identify someone who also feels um, that that day is difficult, maybe just connecting with someone that you know, you enjoy spending time with and maybe they don't have plans that day either. So maybe the two of you 
do something that feels enjoyable and maybe also relaxing or replenishing in some sort of way. I think also, I, I know this for myself, like that's not necessarily a day I want to be like out and about, like maybe going out to lunch or something like that. Um, because it really is just a day that's like flooded with family and I think flooded with celebration and things like that. And again, while that may be enjoyable for some, that could feel really triggering for others. So I think those are a couple things um, just top of mind that folks can do to either prevent themselves from feeling triggered or attempt to prevent or that they can do in the moment if they're feeling overwhelmed or triggered. Yeah, those are some really great practical suggestions. Do you have some other thoughts for how to shore up your internal resources, you know, either on an ongoing yeah. basis or maybe in particular around days that might be mm -hmm. um, especially difficult? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I think one of the things is like honoring your feelings. And I think, you know, that's kind of an abstract concept. But for me, the way to make that really applied is to say, like, however I'm feeling is valid. And a lot of times when we're having, quote unquote, difficult emotions, um, we'll end up like kind of doubling down and like layering shame or anger or frustration with self or even rejection of self on top of that difficult emotion. And, you know, I think one of the things we can do is like, just say like, well, however I am today, that's valid. So if I'm in pain, then I'm going to allow myself to feel the pain. And I think, you know, for some that may be grieving, like if it's the loss of a relationship or loss of a loved one and that, you know, that day brings that up for them, like allowing yourself to feel grief. And I think for others, it might be allowing yourself to grieve the relationship you wish you had that you don't. And so I think really allowing yourself to feel your feelings as much as you can, even if it feels like it's going to be painful, that pain and sadness and hurt, those are not bad emotions. They're just like not comfortable or difficult um, and that they are, they're valid and they tell us something. And, you know, that may be an internal cue of that there's some healing to do there. And I think also, again, kind of going along what I said earlier, really assessing like, what are your needs? So internal self-care to me is, I think self-care sometimes gets a bad rap for being about like bubble baths and spa days, but really self-care is like acknowledging, here's what I need right now. If I'm tired, I take a nap um, or I go to bed early if I can't, if I don't have time to take a nap or, you know, if I'm thirsty, I get water, those sorts of things. Well, on days that are emotionally impactful, we must also engage in that same internal self-care process where we're saying, right now I'm feeling pained or uncomfortable or sad. What do I need to nurture myself right now? Not what do I need to make this go away, but what do I need to acknowledge my feeling so I can move through it? Yeah, that's wonderful. And also to remain aware that these things that you're talking about in terms of noticing what we need and being able to provide that for ourselves, that's really a process. So, mm -hmm. you know, also for anybody listening who feels like, well, I don't even know, again, I don't know what I need or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a process. It's really just, to me, a moment to moment awareness and um, mm -hmm. a recognizing when something comes up and then being mm -hmm. able and ready and willing to just kind of provide that for ourselves. And it really requires a lot of self-compassion, I think, and gentleness with yes. ourselves mm. rather than, oh, what now, right, that I'm feeling or what is this, right. or whatever, or frustration or whatever, the critic, you know, that internal mm -hmm. critic that kind of comes up. It's like, be gentle with yourself, you know, just, yes. it's okay, right? These things are okay. Yes. Oh, I totally agree with you. Our language to ourselves matters so much. And even if in the moment we can say like, you know, oh, I'm hurting and that feels so bad, you know, but I'm here for me. And I think 
you know, just even saying that versus, oh, why am I feeling this way? I should just get over it. Or, you know, I think it's the, like, the should sort of language or, yeah, like you worded it, the critic. You know, another thought just came to me. I wonder if something else folks can do around these days, if they do tend to be painful, if you are seeing a therapist um, or you do have a support system, make sure that you're setting appointments up or um, engagements up with folks so that you can get a debriefing or like a buildup of tools or skills or support ahead of time. So, you know, that might mean scheduling a therapy appointment on the Friday before or the Monday after, um, or it might mean making sure you've got like time with friends or loved ones that you do want to spend time with either on the Friday or the Monday or, or whatever it is. So I think also planning some things ahead of time to like, you know, try obviously not to avoid the situation, but to best prepare yourself for, you know, what's the armor I might need to wear on this day that I can put on for this day alone and then move on and know that there's some healing that needs to be done. So eventually, hopefully I won't have to wear this armor to survive. Yes. And the point about having support and a social network and all of that, that is so important to healing, I think. Mm -hmm. And I also want to talk about people who don't yet have a support network, right? Who feel very much alone, mm -hmm. maybe not only in the feeling of or in the feelings about what's coming up around a holiday, but just physically alone, right? If they don't feel like they have that mm -hmm. support network to reach out to, do you have any thoughts for how those folks might, or those of us who feel that way might be able to, mm -hmm. you recognize their needs and, and start to get those met? Yeah, you know, so I know I spoke kind of critically of social media a few minutes ago, but I have just noticed such a huge wealth of knowledge and growth for mental health resources on Instagram. And and I know that's how you and I are connected. And I, I know I'm personally connected to, oh, I mean, I'm sure at this point, it's hundreds of therapists who just share the most beautiful and free resources for folks related to healing and self-care and boundaries. And, you know, everyone's got kind of a slightly different niche. And I think that those resources actually can be really profound. And there is some sense of like online community with that. I know in my comment section, sometimes I will just be so amazed at the like warmth and capacity folks have for one another, even in the comments that they'll post. And so I do think, you know, while you're in the process of building a social, uh, like physical social network, you might find a lot of benefit in finding the social community online. And, you know, I do think, if, you know, since we're talking about like how I'm phrasing this as relational trauma or relational wounds, I think we heal from that when we are in relation with others. And so I think, you know, maybe building the online community might feel safer or more accessible. And then really asking yourself, like, in what other ways may I be able to meet people who are like me or maybe who connect with me? And, you know, if therapy is not like an accessible option for financial reasons or location, there might be support groups or therapy groups, and those tend to be cheaper and, or free, or even um, like meetups and things like that, that, that you might be able to find a community that's maybe outside of your like initial like family unit, someone who's non-biased, someone who doesn't know maybe the whole story that you can connect and heal with or in relationship with. Those are some great suggestions. And you just mentioned that with relational wounds or relational trauma, part of how we heal is in relationship. And that can be really difficult, mm -hmm. I think, to believe if you've had a, you know, one really difficult experience in relationship or a series of them where it just feels like difficulty or struggle or pain or trauma or whatever. But I really want to say that having a healthy relationship 
even if you have had relational wounds or relational trauma is possible. You know, there are a lot of folks in this world who wound others because they themselves are wounded and either are unwilling or unable to resolve those wounds within themselves. But there are also a lot of people who are really loving and nurturing and have worked through a lot of that stuff themselves who are out there, not only as you said, as, you know, therapists or people sharing their experience online, but also in person. Mm-hmm. I guess I just want to say it is possible and not to give up hope. You're not damaged. You're not damaged beyond, you're not beyond redemption, right? And you're not mm-hmm. damaged. Mm-hmm. It is possible. And it may take baby yeah. steps and it may take really finding the right people, but please don't mm-hmm. give up. Oh, you're so right. You know, I think like as you were saying that, I was just thinking about a lot of times when someone has experienced a relational wound, they internalize the like, I am bad, I am broken idea. And part of the healing process is being able to move away from that internalized message to know that like, really, that was a relational dynamic. And that's not that's not you, you get to go on and be in different relationships. And there can be a different outcome. So I love what you're saying about doing everything you can to maintain the hope and find relation with people who are also doing their own work. I think that's beautiful. Exactly. And I do want to give you a shout out for your Instagram. That is how I found you. And your posts are amazing. I mean, you consistently share with such deep insight. It's not superficial posts. It's really, it's deep insight. You know, not only I think from, and forgive me if this sounds presumptuous, but not only from your work with clients, but it seems like also the work that you've done within yourself and based on your own experiences Mm -hmm. that all kind of blends together Mm -hmm. in what you offer. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah. Oh, I so appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I, I really believe that almost all people or all people experience something that they consider to be traumatic and I'm not differentiated in that. And I think to be a trauma-informed therapist, which is really how I see myself in my work, that means that I have to be going inward. I have to do my own work. I have been in therapy a number of times in my life. And I, I'm proud to say that because I do think it's important for my own life, my own well-being, but also for my clients to know that I am not their expert. I am my own expert and I have become my own expert and I continue to become my own expert every day. And so there's just no shame in and seeking help and, and learning new things about yourself. So, you know, I definitely think it's important if I'm going to share that message, I've got to live it too. Yes, indeed. We we walk the walk, right? <laughs> not just, yes, not yes. just talk the talk or even walk the talk. It's really walking the walk is, yes. you know, where the rubber meets the road. So mm-hmm. speaking of Instagram, how can people get a hold of you to, you know, hear more about your message? And if they do want to reach out to you for more information, how do folks find you? Sure. So I'm on Instagram at The Empowered Therapist, and I've had that page since June of last year. And so at this point, there's a fair amount of content on there. And um, I've got what I think is just a really phenomenal healing community on there. So I would love for folks to connect with me there. If you are interested in counseling or therapeutic or consultation services, I am in the Dallas area, but can provide services online to folks who are in Texas. And I can be reached there at my website www.empoweredhealingdallas.com. Great. And I will put links to to what Danica just mentioned there in the uh, show notes. So before we wrap up, do you have any other thoughts you want to share or offer? Yeah, I think 
really want to encourage everyone to honor their feelings and honor where they're at and that however you're feeling, you come by it honestly. And we're, none of us make it out without being impacted by our relationships, especially our early relationships. And, you know, really just allow yourself to be in whatever space you're in and know that relationships can change and shift over time. And so can you. That's beautiful. So thank you so much for joining us today. It was wonderful to have you here. Thank you. So love, I hope that conversation provided you with at least some amount of hope that no matter what you have experienced in life, healing is possible. Healthy relationships are possible and you are not fundamentally broken. I also realize it may have stirred up a lot of emotion for you. And if so, please know that you are not alone and there are many helpful resources out there. One that has been especially helpful for me is Internal Family Systems, or IFS. It's the one thing I've found that helps relieve that internal pain from its roots in a gentle yet highly effective way. You know, if you're a video watcher, you can get more information about IFS on YouTube. I also do individual IFS sessions. They are a big part of my coaching practice. So if you're feeling that internal nudge to explore more of what it's about, head over to beingandoingnow.com forward slash coaching and set up a free 30-minute consultation with me. And on the website, beingandoingnow.com, you can also sign up for this month's giveaway, which is Bessel van der Kolk's amazing book, The Body Keeps the Score. So before I let you go, just one more quick thing. If you got any value out of this podcast, please remember to head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating and leave a brief review. Or if you don't have iTunes, you don't like iTunes, you stay away from iTunes, whatever it may be, please do the same. Give it a five-star rating and leave a brief review on your favorite podcast platform. So that is all for now, love. I so look forward to connecting with you again in next week's episode and one-on-one if you do go ahead and reach out to me for a session. In the meantime, please remember that you make the world a better place by knowing yourself better, loving yourself more, and sharing from the heart. Keep doing you, love. Ciao for now.